Hey, I got good news. Regardless of who does or doesn't get in the White House, Jesus is on the throne, and God's kingdom is run by uh, a theocracy. He's king, and so he's our king, and let's continue to bow before him. And as we uh, continue here in the series on Romans, I love how we've been going through books of the Bible. We're letting God's word speak to us and speaking it in order. And so we had said that if there was a, one of the most important books of the Bible, if you could have one book, it would be the book of Romans. If you could have one chapter, it'd be chapter eight. If, you, if there were three chapters easy to be confused, nine, 10, and 11 are because they talk about Israel. And I have no idea why our reformed brothers and sisters say that the church has replaced Israel because the language in there, if you read it in original language, it shows very clearly God has a purpose and a plan for Israel. And there's a place for everyone in heaven. And it's not just that you're predestined and you're predestined not to be there. God has space for everyone that's willing to take that place. But I would say that Romans 12 through 16, while the first 11 chapters, Paul is having this, it's almost like our first 11 chapters are with the Apostle Paul in a lecture hall. And he's given this deep theological, like, let me tell you how sin is terminal. Let me explain to you how grace is amazing. Let me unfold for you how forgiveness from God is never ending and that there's nothing that you need to do other than allow God's forgiveness and it to, to be at work in your life. And now you're no longer under law. You're under God's grace. Now we know that that doesn't mean that you're free from the, oh, God set me free from the law. Cool. Awesome. I can go out and kill and steal and rape. And no, that makes absolutely no sense. We're no longer under the law as obeying it to get into heaven. We're under the grace of God's forgiveness. We're not who we used to be. We're not who we ought to be, but we try to become who God wants us to be. And how do we do that? Chapter eight says, the way of the spirit, that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, it quickens our mortal body. You cannot be a better person through willpower long enough or strong enough. It is only through the grace and the power and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so much more than just the gifts of the Spirit. He is our sustainer. He is our empowerer. He's the one that helps us to be able to look at things that we want to say yes to in our flesh and by the power of the Spirit to say, no, I don't have to and I don't want to and I don't need to. And uh, any of you like me who had a, an addictive lifestyle understand that tension. That dr and, and in fact, every single one of us has our own set of addictions, right? I can't trade my, uh, my drug addiction for your slander addiction or whatever it is. Different strokes for different folks, but sin is terminal no matter how you look at it. Paul has that deep theology he goes through, and we've been going through it. If you haven't watched Simple Gospel, it's online on our website. You can go back and look at it. But now we're going to get into what Paul does best. When Paul wrote to his friends, although he went deep, he always ended with practical advice. And so chapters 12 through 16 are going to say, and here's what it can look like for your life, and here's how you make it work. And so now we begin to jump into the heart of it, and what I want to talk with you about here this morning is being a living sacrifice. Living sacrifices. I'm only focusing on two verses today, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's pray. Father, 
There, there isn't enough eloquence and there isn't enough power and there isn't enough words in the English language for me to say or to provoke the change that needs to happen in here this morning. I can't make anything happen by speaking to people, but by your spirit, your Holy Spirit, you can do what you say your word was sent to do to accomplish the purpose it was sent for. You say that your word is living and active. It's God-breathed. It's profitable for reproof, rebuke, exhortation, encouragement in righteousness. God, I pray that the power of your spirit and your word would do something supernatural here this morning to make us changed in ways that we never dreamt possible. I pray for the presence of your spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in here to speak. You are a person. Lord, just as much as we walked in this room, Lord, I believe your Holy Spirit is walking into this room for these words and for this word and for this moment so that you can change us for all other moments in our life moving forward. Holy Ghost, do your work this morning. Through the word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Living Sacrifices, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it in the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that's everybody, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. A living sacrifice. <laughs> when I talk to you about sacrifices, you think you understand, but you don't. Uh, when we were in Israel recently, Pastor Dylan and I, 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 uh, my, I have a background. I've traveled there many, many times. I used to take uh, everything from students to professors to church people. Some of us, we are on the eternally delayed trip to Israel. We're looking at October now of 2021. It's not within, if it, we would have been there several times already, but we are going to get there by the grace of God. But one trip that we do usually is I take, when I, when I go there, if ever I'm able to bring a staff member or two, we go places that the normal trip doesn't go. And so we stayed there for three extra days. And so we contacted a friend of a friend. His name was Gil. And he took us all through the area that most people don't go. We went to Shiloh, where the temple originally was in the time of Samuel. We saw the post holes in the ground where the tabernacle used to be. It was amazing. And uh, when we were there, we went to the top of Mount, uh, Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans were. And actually, we spent about two hours hanging out with the next Samaritan high priest. Now, if you know in the time of Jesus, the Samaritans were basically people that came into the land. They weren't really Jews, but they took on the Jewish kind of customs. And to this day, they celebrate Passover. They offer sacrifices. We hung out in the courtyard where they would, in the burnt area where they would offer up the animals. So when I talk to you about sacrifices, you think you understand, but when was the time you ever went to church and you walked in and the pastor was covered in blood? Imagine if I did that. I should have done it just for Halloween. <laughs> when did you ever see that? Never. When did you ever see a, a, a gigantic altar with flames going up? The smell of maybe Father's Day, right? When we do the pig roast here. I love it, man. We are, we are totally not Jewish. We're like bacon all the way, baby. We are not kosher. We're just, so we have these great festivals that I can't wait to bring back. And, uh, and we do that. But, but 
when it comes to sacrifice, and the Bible uses this metaphor, it's really removed from us. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. The sights and sounds in the temple. When was the last time you walked into a, to, into a church service and heard a sheep going, and then they took the knife and it went, those were the sounds of the temple. How many of you remember the butcher shop? There's some good Portuguese butcher shops throughout the area. They're still rocking it out. But I love, man, I mean, give me a, I, I, you ain't a butcher unless you're covered and you're just like, you're the man. Where else can you get cow tongue for a preaching illustration? Portuguese butcher shop. Love it. But when I say sacrifice, you think you've got it figured out. You're like, when I say sacrifice, you say Jesus. Sacrifice, Jesus. Sacrifice, right? Sacrifice, cross. And whenever I say sacrifice, you just instantly hit the word sacrifice plus sin equals forgiveness. Because you think that sacrifice in, in, in Christianity and in Judaism has to do with sin, where in fact most of the sacrifices didn't have anything to do with sin at all. It had to do with relationships vertically and horizontally, right? Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's why we're here. Think about these. Listen, these offerings. There was the peace offering. The peace offering, or as the Jews would call it, the shalom offering. You would come in with your family with an offering. You would offer it. You would cook it. And then you as a family would sit in a circle and you would eat. And you believed that the presence of God was there at your table. And at that table, that while you were eating that meal, you were sitting in the presence of God. And that by doing that, God was going to bring peace to remind you it's going to be okay this week. I'm going to be in it with you. I'm going to keep you whole. You know what I used to do sometimes at work? Instead of going to the cafeteria, instead of going to the cafe, I took my food somewhere private. And I would just sit there, and as I ate, I just would be like, God, I just want to be whole. That's what shalom really means. Complete, whole, unbroken. Lord, make me whole. I just eat this meal in your presence, and I just say thank you for giving me what I need, not just physically, but spiritually. Probably couldn't say that over Twinkies, but, you know, hey. There was the grain offering where you just brought in a portion and a portion of it would go to the priest and a portion of it would go to the people and you would eat that and say, God, thank you for providing a harvest. Thank you for causing my business to prosper. 90% of the world were farmers until 100 years ago for millenniums. And it was that way of saying, God, here's a portion of my business. I give this to you and I thank you and, then, and I celebrate with, with everybody. And then there was the whole burn offering. Oh my goodness. The whole burn offering was a bull that you brought in you didn't get to eat a chunk of filet mignon off of it. You didn't get to get ribeye, which actually, by the way, happens to be the best cut of the steak. You wouldn't happen to get any Angus, you know, ribs. You burnt the entire thing in the presence of God and let it go up before him. And it was your way of saying, God, this is how much I love you. To put it in perspective for you, how many of you have a dream car that you wish you have or you have that you've waited a long time to get? Just raise your hand up and put it down, okay? That would be like... That would be like you taking your dream car to church, pouring kerosene over it, lighting a match, and saying, Lord, this is how much I love you. That's what the whole burnt offering was. It wasn't for sin. It was to say, God, you mean more to me than this. And then, of course, here's another one for you, the guilt offering, right? Oh, that has to do with sin, right? Yes and no. It actually had to do with sin that you committed against somebody else. So say, for instance, you did wrong. And this is the missing sacrifice in the Christian church of the 21st century, owning your junk. 
More lives have been destroyed by pride and not taking responsibility for the wrong that you were responsible for than heroin. And so, if you wronged somebody, you would come before the temple. Jesus talks about this. If you come to the temple with a gift and you have ought against your brother, first go to your brother, make amends with them, then come back and offer your offering. You know why? Because the, the guilt offering was that you went to your brother and you said, I have offended you. Please forgive me. I am wrong. And you know what God did to make it actually hurt, to make it sacrificial? He would actually say that you would give a portion of silver or a portion of coin to that person as part of the apology because sometimes words are cheap right and you would give that to that person and then you would go to the temple and you would offer up your sacrifice and your sin was forgiven do you know that there's some of us in this room right now as i speak about this you have sin that is still clinging to you because the the restitution isn't this way it's this way because you're not willing to go back and say, I was wrong. And how about this? And here's what, what makes it even hurt too. You did not go to that person to apologize to them so that they would give you the apologize you think you deserve. Do you ever do that? You ever have somebody do that to you? Hey, listen, I just want to come up to you and I want to say, hey, uh, I'm really sorry for, uh, um, you know, I, the Lord's really convicted me and made me feel really bad and I just want you to know I'm sorry. How many of you ever do that? Let's be honest. Let's be real. I'm raising my hand. I've done that before a couple of times. Because you offended me. You hurt me. You know, if you haven't read the bait of offense, you've got to whip that thing out, man. I'll set you free. But like the, uh, the guilt offering was that you went there with an apology with a bag of cash, and then you got it right with that person, and you weren't even looking for them to own their part. You know, the world, the church, would be a better place if people just owned their junk and didn't look for the other person to do it, but they just set the example for it. And then they just went back to God and saying, God, listen, it's not against them it's against you and you alone have sinned forgive me man that's about relationship restoring and then lastly of course the sin offering that was offered which is jesus but look at that there are four other offerings that have absolutely nothing to do with this and we think that sacrifice is ended but it's not it's a part of who we are and here's the crazy thing the priests the bible says in leviticus 6 12 that they were to make sure that the altar fire was to burn continually and to see that the fire never went out in this season of covid while you have socially distanced some of you have spiritually distanced from the word of god from prayer from relationships with other people from accountability with other people in your life and the fire on the altar is dwindling and god is telling you fan into flame feed that wood those are the things that keep that fire burning in order for sacrifice to be offered up to god and then not only that but in leviticus 16 12 if you wanted to pray you would offer incense to god but you had to take the coal from the altar and it went into the censer, and then the incense went in there, and then you went before the veil of God. Here's the interesting thing to this. This is why Nadab and Abihu in, in Numbers 12, I believe it is, they offered up false fire, strange fire to God, because they didn't take it from the altar. Which means to tell me that even my prayers must be connected to sacrifice. They must be mindful of sacrifice, not only of his sacrifice, 
but they also need to be mindful of my sacrifice that God's calling me. What do you mean? God's calling me to sacrifice? I thought that the temple was ended. I thought the sacrifice end, ended, Pastor Paul. No. First Peter 2, 5 says to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'll never forget a person who deeply impacted my life. His name was Maurice Lednicki. He is a missionary. He, is, he was the president of Central Bible College, one of the many schools I went to. And he said this every Wednesday morning when we met for president prayers, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. I went there. I never missed a week. He'd say, gang, sacrifice is not sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. Sacrifice is not sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. Think about Abraham offering up Isaac. What if God said, here's a dream, here's a blessing, here's everything you've always hoped for, now burn it. What if, why would Jesus pay attention to a widow who drops in two coins when people were throwing in tons of money because she gave everything to live on? And some of you widows in this church are those kind of people, and I know your stories. But sacrifice is not sacrifice, unless it's sacrificial. And so Paul says this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. I, one of my professors told me once, he said, whenever you see the word therefore, you've got to ask yourself this question. What's it there for? Well, therefore, since God has shown you in Romans chapter 1 and 2 that Sin is a terminal disease that totally keeps you out of heaven for all eternity. And therefore, since through Jesus Christ, he gave his son who died and switched places with us and that we get his holiness and he takes our wickedness. And therefore, since God no longer looks at us through obedience through the law, but through Jesus Christ, and therefore, since in chapters uh, 7 and 8, that God now through his Holy Spirit living in me is going to empower me to live a holy life, not because I'm afraid if I don't, I won't make it to heaven, not because I feel guilt and shame, but because I want to honor and love the God who died for me and sacrificed for me. I want to sacrifice for him. And therefore, since he still has a plan for his holy people, Israel, in 9, 10, and 11, and therefore, since all of those things, therefore, offer yourself a living sacrifice. Oh, not just a sacrifice, but one that's holy and pleasing. Totally, completely pleasing to God. And then he says this, he says, I appeal to you. What's interesting is his appeal is just the wrong word in English. It just doesn't, there's not enough words in the English language that uh, any of you who are bi or trilingual, you get sometimes where it's like there are just some concepts that don't carry over into other languages. How do you, how do you explain it? But that word that word, I appeal to you, you could appeal a court case and win it back or lose it. or It's the wrong word. In fact, the word better there is urge, but it doesn't even catch it there. The word para is where we get the word parallel, parallel bars, para, alongside of. This is the word that was used by Greek and Roman generals when they would address their troops because what was different about the, the Greek 
armies and generals was that they always, and to keep the respect of their soldiers, they always had to be the first one at the front of the line into every battle. I don't know how Alexander the Great did it, but, the, but every other army hid their king way back in the back, and they boasted in Egypt about how they did this, that, and the other thing. Ramses, if you've ever read any of the stuff about him, he's a boaster. He was hidden behind a thousand soldiers. Alexander the Great, he was the first guy into battle, or he would lose respect, and this is what they would say. The general would say, hey, I urge you, I'm the guy that's going in there first you get next to me we're going in together i have worked i have been with i have seen in the kingdom of god so many people that want to use me as their shield that want to use me as their pawn but jesus christ said get behind me paul i'm going to show you what sacrifice is i'm not going to use you i'm going to free you and i'm going to liberate you and therefore because of the mercies of god i urge you paul offer your body your life as a sacrifice by the mercies of God. You see, the reason why he uses that word para, he says, I'm going to give you a good reason. I'm not going to put a general next to you, but let me just put the mercies of God next to you. Only the arrogant failed to do basic math when it comes to God's mercy. Only, a, only an arrogant person cannot see the hand of God's mercy at work in the disasters that have been kept from happening. Oh my goodness. When we fled, when we should have stayed. When we pushed the blame on somebody else to preserve our reputation. When we ripped somebody in pieces behind their back because we didn't have the courage to say it to their face. When we took, when we should have given. When we left, when we should have stayed. When we stayed, when it was time for us to let go. God was merciful. So merciful to me. So unworthy. And I appeal to you, friends here this morning, by the mercies of God, for, forget debt, forget desire, just by God's pure mercy. Don't we owe him so much? And so we have a choice. Option one, we present our body for service to Jesus via being sacrificial. Or option two, we present our bodies for sin to the God of ourself. And Paul actually addressed this way back in chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God, your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under law, you are under grace. If you are here today and you're a Christian and you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you are trying to make him Lord of your life, understand that you are no longer under law. You don't gain favor with God by being a good boy or a good girl. You gain favor by God because of his good grace because he's a good God, but at the same time, now you have a responsibility. It's time to grow up. It's time to be a big boy and a big girl, and you need to know that you have a choice of what your hands will do today. You have a choice to know what your mind will do today. You have a decision to make with where your feet will go today, because God doesn't use people as puppets. He uses them in partnership. The sexuality that God's given you, you have a decision to make. You have that choice. You see, it doesn't say, and let God sacrifice you. He says, no, you present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
And let me pause right here. As soon as I went through that, there's some of you that went through all the different parts of your life and said, oh my gosh. And you were more mindful of the sin than the Savior. But God wants you to understand even those moments and those things that made you cringe and you're like, God's grace can be applied to that. How many of you would want forgiveness for the things that just came to your mind a second ago? Right? Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness. Guess what? It's given to you. You're forgiven. You're free. Now you have a choice, not because of the law, not because of fear, but because of gratitude to say, God, I'm not going to get this perfect, but I want to give my life to you. I want to serve you. I want to sacrifice for you, not because I have to, but because I'm grateful. And I might not get it right, and God's like, I know. But I'm so proud that you're willing to do that. I willfully, I give my life away. I present it to you. I set it down willfully. Did you ever consider that worship is actually a decision? And your bodies, when he says your bodies, that's your actual members, just like what we went through. Do some good with your body. Be a living sacrifice. And here's the beautiful part of this. Because right now, there's so many of you in this room that have said, I've been down that road before. I have that good feeling of like, God, I want to rededicate to you. And then I just re-defecate myself. I'm so tired of failing God. First of all, put it in perspective. You are not under law. You're under grace. God's not looking for a performance from you. And he's, he's coming to you and he's saying, okay, how are we going to do this? You know how he does it? He does it by his spirit because whenever somebody offers a sacrifice that is pleasing to God, God sends the fire. He sends the fire of his Holy Spirit. When the first offering was ever made and the temple was set, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the, in the Old Testament, when they were about to offer the first sacrifice, lightning struck the altar. The word for fire there, ash, is, is the same word for lightning. Lightning struck the altar, completely consumed the sacrifice. God's glory filled the room, and everybody's face was on the ground, and they were saying, the Lord is God. When Elijah was in a time like ours, when the, when the men and women of God were outnumbered 400 to 1, and he walked in and he said, my God is God, and Baal is not God, and we're going to say, who is God here? Because the Lord that answers is going to answer by fire, by the power of the Holy Spirit. They set up an altar for Baal, and then they set up an altar for God. And then this one, they, they sat around all day. They cut themselves. They did all their work. See, see, see what I'm doing? God, God doesn't want you running around cutting yourself. You, listen, you don't bring God up by going down and hurting enough, and you don't, you don't, uh, you don't ascend high enough to reach God. God, God reaches you, and he reaches you in that moment when you're really honest and you say, I can't be a godly person. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. God, send the fire. And what does the Lord do? Boom, he strikes the, he strikes the altar with fire, and all of the people start screaming, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then when the birth of Samson was announced, Manoah comes out, and he offers up to the angel of the Lord, a sacrifice, and he sets it on the rock, and lightning strikes, and the angel of the Lord goes up into heaven. God sent the fire. God wants to put the fire of God in your life again, because you never had, listen, your willpower, your dedication, your discipline does not make you a godly, powerful saint. The fire of the Holy Spirit does that. 
God wants to put his fire in you. There's a reason why in the day of Pentecost there were tongues of fire over them. Because it was the fire of God that lights the sacrifice that produces the power of God. And the, 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 the Holy Spirit wants to burn in your life. See, the sad part about Samson, though, is, is that while his father made a living sacrifice to the angel, Samson failed to offer and present himself as a living sacrifice, offering his members to God, and instead he perpetually flirted with sin. And he said this, I'll shake myself like other times before. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. You know what's interesting? When the Holy Spirit shows up in fire and power, every single person sees it and cannot deny it. But if you perpetually, continually, ongoingly offend the Holy Spirit, he'll leave so quiet you didn't even know he was gone. And then in that moment when you're relying on him for that, Samson needed Romans 12, 1 and 2. And you and I need it in our life. We need to know sacrifice isn't sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. And what's interesting is, is that while we say, oh, my life is so hard, Hebrews 12, 4 says this, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. We've got people in our church that run 100-mile races. Are you training for a life of 100-mile sacrifices? What if that's what God's calling you to? And he says this, which is your spiritual worship? Um, I tell you, I'm so grateful. I, I probably bore you all to death when I'm always like, and the Greek says this, and the Greek says that. And but it wasn't written in English. The, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And I'm very grateful for my education that I'm able to converse in all those languages. And we don't sit, remember, we make a promise here. We don't talk about original language unless it means something, unless it's a game changer. This one, the word spiritual, it's not written spiritual worship in Greek. It's actually written logical worship. See, the word lagios is used there for, they put the word spiritual because it's easier for you and I to understand because we know worship is a spiritual thing, but actually what God is trying to say to us through the Apostle Paul is, is listen, for you to give your body, for you to give your life, for you to be a sacrificial Christian and not a self-centered one, for you to be somebody that is on the give and not on the take, for you to be somebody that is always looking to offer to God instead of looking for God to give you the offering, you the blessing, you the, you the stuff and the things, like instead of treating the cross as a Christmas tree, that you would realize that the same Hebrew word that's used for altar, misbach, is the same word that's used for what's placed on it. It literally says when you sacrifice in the place of sacrifice, and we have turned the altar into a place where, yes, God takes away your shame. Yes, where God makes you feel better about yourself. Yes, where he wipes away your tears. But we've removed from it the sacrifice. It's not a place where you get. It's a place where you give. And church was completely centered around that. And Paul says, listen, this is logical. Why is spirituality not flourishing in your life? Why is it that the more Christ-centered you try to become, the more self-centered you see reflected back in the mirror? Why is it that when the more you try to live holy, the less you seem to be? Could it be because you've got it reversed and coming to God for what he would give you instead of coming and saying, here is my life, I give it to you. You gave your life for me, so I'm going to give my life for you. That's logical. That makes sense. 
It's logical to be loving and sacrificing, courageous and selfless, esteeming others higher than yourself, compassionate, kind. Honey, patient, sorry. Long-suffering, obedient, prayerful, filled with God's spirit, filled with God's gifts, generous. It's reasonable worship. And you know what's interesting? The word that's used here for worship it's not this. Help me out here, team. I got to press a button for this to work, right? Yeah. Oh, no, it's not talking about that. You know, it's interesting, the word that's used for worship here, it's work. Latrine. You know what I do every time, most of the time, when a new staff member comes on staff? I take him in the bathroom and I clean the toilet in front of them. I haven't done that with the ladies. But there isn't a single person on our team that would ever have a job or keep a job if there was ever a job below them. Because if there's a job below you, there's a person below you. And I saw Jesus, if he wiped the feet of the disciples then he would have cleaned a toilet. Worship is work. In fact, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew sentiment for this is abodah. You cannot work without worshiping, nor can you worship without working. What if your work ethic, along with your life ethic, along with your service ethic, along with your spiritual ethic, along with your sacrificial ethic, was inseparable from your work ethic? It's worship. The tragedy of present-day worship is is that we become extroverts in selecting songs and hearing them instead of thinking that it's actually more about what we're giving God sacrificially at the altar with our bodies, our hearts, our souls, our minds. Or in Hebrew, we say, with our all. Worship is sacrifice, and sacrifice is about what you give. And then when you do that, that's when heaven releases the power of God. Because if God would not hold back forgiveness from the human race for the sacrifice his son gave, what kind of anointing and blessing could God be unleashing in your family, in your life, in your neighborhood, and in your home if you worked harder at being a living sacrifice? Ooh. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and by testing that you may discern what the will of God is, what, God's, what's, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. As a pastor, as a, a Bible college professor, uh, I began to reach this new habit when people would come up to me and say, the Lord spoke to me, and I'd almost throw up in my mouth. <laughs> because I knew what was going to happen. The Lord told me, you know what, that's a, that, is a, that, is a, that is a Halloween costume that says, I'm about to tell you what I want to do, and I'm going to say that God told me, and you don't get to test it. I just get to tell you it. Thank you for those applause. Don't ever come up to this pastor and say, the Lord told me, um, because the Bible says right here, 
that once you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you don't even have the common sense to know what God's will really is. It may very well be your selfish, self-centered, self-preservation worship of yourself. It's crazy, some of the stuff I've heard. You know what? I love her. We're moving in together. And no, that ain't God's will for your life. I know I'm not supposed to, but... Sorry, you just missed the whole point. See, there's a level of discernment. When you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, a level of discernment comes into your life and you begin to understand, oh my goodness, that's God's will, not that. When you test, you have to even test your own heart. Don't even trust yourself. You know what I do? I pray all the time. I say, God, please expose me to myself. That I might discern what the will of God is, his good and acceptable and perfect will. I've had so many dreams and so many things and so many things in my life, but I've come to realize that the fulfillment never looks like the vision. In fact, Joseph, who we talked about a while back, is a perfect example of that. He had a dream, and he thought that everyone was going to be bowing down to him, and really didn't he realize that he'd be bowing down in a cistern, as a slave, and in a prison in order to save the world. The dream never looks like the reality, but the question is, is are you willing to suffer and sacrifice in order to be and do what God... Listen, I could be doing a lot of other things with my life. I'm here in obedience. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here in obedience to God. And God is doing great things here. And God does not call us to be famous. He calls us to be faithful. And he says, in order for that to happen, after you offer yourself... I got one other concern for you, Paul. Be careful not to conform to the pattern of this world. And in fact, in Greek, I could say no a lot of different ways. I could say to Abby right up here, what's up, girl? Puppy Pope. She, her nickname for me is Puppy Pope, by the way. It's my, I got a little puppy mask. For that. But I could say, hey, Abs, do you want to do, um, do, you, do you get Chinese food? She could be like, uh, nah, right? Or I could say to her, hey, would you pick up the dog do for my dog? And she'd be like, no. There's a big difference in no. Now I say that to say this. In the Greek language, there are different ways that you can say no, no, ooh, ook, ooks. But there's one way that you say it, which is called the may negation, which means never, ever, never, ever, not in a million years, no way, no, 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 do not conform to the pattern of this world, no way, never, absolute not, no conformity to this world, it's paths, it's patterns, it's programs, it's promotions, it's platitudes, it's prominence, no conformity, how many ways do you need to hear it? A continual external pressure is on all of our lives. Don't take your cues from the world around you, but from the Holy Spirit that God wants to put in you through his word. It's a picture of molding clay. It wants to manhandle you to make you what it wants, and it's written in the imperative. And it's, just, it's just, never mind, I won't even get into the Greek, sorry. But when it comes to that, he says, don't, don't, don't do that, but do do this. Be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's crazy and this is why again we always say we don't talk about original language to impress anybody but when it's a game changer this is a game changer do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind a couple of things one you probably heard the analogy of the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly it's that transformation that metamorphosis 
that takes place. That's the word that's used here in Greek. And it's actually the word that's used of Jesus in Matthew 17 too, when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and all of a sudden he changes to the countenance of lightning of what, what the glorified body would look like. He, he, he metamorphoses right before them. Same word that's used here in what he's trying to explain. But there's a complete amazing way in which this is worded. It's worded in such a way that it's, in Greek, the only way I can explain it is present passive imperative, which means present. It's happening right now. Passive. It means you're doing nothing about it. It's just happening upon you. It's not that you're making it happening. It's happening to you. It's happening now. And it's written imperatively with an exclamation point. It's that God is doing it ongoing in you and he allows to change you and there's something about you and people who knew you come up to you and they say there's something different about you. There's something different about you. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's ironic that in Romans chapter 1, when he's talking about sin, he talks about all the downward spiral sins of like a toilet flushing. And then finally on its way to the septic tank, it says that God gave them over to a depraved mind. But what's interesting here in Romans 12, where he's about to say, and now that we, therefore, 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 now we're going to see the upward ascent of a willful life of sacrifice and how that changes your life and the life of anyone that encounters you. Because he says, no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not being given over to a depraved mind. Our thinking is not right. You think you have your thinking right. You think you have it figured out, but your thinking might be stinking. That's why he says you need to test and to approve God's will. And that's what we're going to do here as we close. You see, the amazing thing of all of this is, is that it sounds like I just gave you a message that says, and now get out there and sacrifice your lives. Or else you might not make it to heaven. Um, no, what I've actually shown you is what we've been taking a close look at all along. That we come to realize that our best effort still produces the worst results. This thing that we're talking about here is not done by us, it's done by Him. It's passive, present, imperative. God does it. But in order for him to do what he needs to do through us, we need him to do in us. We need to invite him in. He's a, he's a gentleman. He doesn't kick down doors. But he walks through them when he's invited. In fact, Lord, we pause for a moment right here. We invite you into our heart and mind and into our life to make this next moment stick and be permanent for what we're about to say and do. We worship you and we thank you. I was with my parents this past Saturday in Connecticut and it just happened to be that it was the first time, it was the first, it was the day that we moved to the home that they're still in. 
pray for us. We need to figure out how to put an addition on my house and bring them up. I, I'm, it's, it's definite now. I need to do that. I see their, their standard of living and they're 80 and they, they need me. And it's going to be like blue bloods at my house. We're going to be eating dinner every night with Grammy and Pop, and it's going to be great. It is. But when we were living in New York, there was a cinder block wall that used to always chip. You know, it was there for decades before I ever came on the scene. So as a seven-year-old, I would put mud. You know, it was the year. It was the summer of mud. You know, just being a boy. And, Tom girls, you did it. You just take that mud. And I just, I wanted to fix that wall. And so I would fix it and I'd show my dad. And he was like, man, good job, Paul. And then it would rain. And it was broken again. And then I would do it and it would be summer and it would be dry and it would be dry. And then I'd touch it and it would crumble. No matter how much I tried to fix that wall, I realized that I didn't have the power to fix it. There was a man, a good friend of my father's. His name was Richard Leonard. He lived third floor we were in the basement apartment and my he just watched me doing this and he came down he said hey Paul good job he goes do you mind if I bring my toys his tools and and play with you and I was like yeah and he came down and said hey I got I, I got a bucket why don't you put your mud in there so I put some mud in there and then I turned around and what I didn't notice was while I was turned he poured cement in I came back and I mixed it. We put it in and I was waiting for the regular result, but I was just happy someone was playing with me given time. And it rained, but it didn't wash away. And it dried, but it didn't crack. And for an entire year, I pointed that out to my parents and he pointed it out to my parents. And I was like, I fixed that. They're like, oh. Good job, Paul. I didn't fix it. Someone came along and put something into it that I didn't have. And that's really what we're talking about here. That's why we rely on the Holy Spirit. That's why we need God's Spirit within us. That's why we need to be aware of, man, I can't even offer myself to God. I don't even have the strength to do that. About three months into that year, he tragically died in a car accident. And every time I walked by that, my memory of this man was connected with repairing and fixing things. And every once in a while, when I renovate my houses, I only have one, but we move from one to the other. We always find fixer-uppers because that's, that's where economically we're at. Every once in a while, my mind goes back to my moment. I haven't told this story in, ever to my family, but I was talking with my dad about it. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He says, hey, do you mind if I play with you? He gives us time. And then he just puts something inside the mix that no matter what we try to do, we can't. And he makes something solid out of our life. And it never has anything to do with you and me. Isn't that wonderful to know that this even living holy doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with him. But, but we, do, we do have a part to play. We have to invite him in. And we have to make an offering. And some days our offerings are off and other times they're going to be on. But we're not in a relationship with Jesus because of good behavior. We're in a relationship with him because he's a good savior. And we do what is right, not because we're afraid we're not going to make it, not because 
we're trying to strive to achieve our own righteousness. We do it as an ongoing thank you to say thank you for being the leader that died and showed me what it is to be a living sacrifice. And so we stand across this room. Can we do that? Can we offer ourselves to him? Lord, in the name of Jesus, across this room, we come before you today in our own words and in our own way. We're so grateful for what Jesus has done, but we're so mindful of what you still need to do. So many times we think we discern your will, and yet it's just our own carnal thinking. Thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for coming alongside us and putting things into the mix of our life that, that have permanency and power. Lord, teach us to be living sacrifices so that we can really, truly discern your will and be the people that when they look at us, they say, there's something different about you. We can say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. We're your sacrifices. Lord, we put our dreams on the altar. We put our drives on the altar. And they may not be your drive and your dream for our life. And it may hurt to light a match to it. But really, Lord, one day a great match is going to be put to the universe and all that is made of hay, wood, and stubble will burn. But things that are made of silver and gold, an ounce of gold will be an ounce of gold after the fire. But a mile of hay will be a pile of ash. And so we give our life to you. We give our dreams to you. We give our bodies and our things to you. We say, be Lord. By the mercies of God, we do this. Let's sing and thank God for what he's done.